I've been praying and asking God to clarify for us. As we build, I'm a bit of a builder. We have, my wife is a prophetic person. I'm a builder. So I want to see, I want to uh, figure out from the Lord, how, how do we build? And so this coming year, I feel that we will be involved in three specific areas. There are areas that we already uh, are involved in, but this year, 2020, will have specific emphasis, emphases on these three areas. We'll be more intentional, we'll be more focused, we'll, uh, we'll exercise more effort, we'll sweat blood, and we'll make these things come to pass with the anointing and with the grace and with the goodness of God in our lives. Amen. So here is what we're talking about this morning. I'm a left brain kind of guy, so I don't have any graphics. I only have words. Maybe there's a right brain creative type who can help me with more graphics at some point. But anyway, this is what I feel for 2020. I know there are many, many words going around for the church in general. But what I'm feeling for Scarborough is uh, the phrase that came to mind is a harvest of goodness or a, or a harvest of righteousness. The one or two people who remember what I spoke about um, when I spoke about peace a couple of Sundays ago, one of the verses I used was James chapter 3, verse 18. And I used the NIV Bible, and that verse spoke about a harvest of righteousness. Those who, those who sow in peace, who sow seeds in peace, will reap a harvest of righteousness. But in the, the, the living Bible, it says a harvest of goodness. And I like that, I like that specific phrase because that's what I heard in my mind, a harvest of goodness, where everybody's talking about a harvest. And yes, we do believe there is a harvest of souls to come where people are going to, like in unprecedented ways, people will come to Christ this coming year. But it's not just about people coming to Christ as important and as key as that, and that's what we're after, but there's going to be a harvest of goodness as we have been sowing seeds of peace in church, in our work life, wherever God takes us, wherever we spend most of our time, as we sow seeds of peace. What I mean by that is, basically what I mean is, as we demonstrate the kingdom of God, right? Jesus is the king of peace. And whatever we do in his name, we do it uh, in peace. And peace, as you know, is uh, shalom. So it's not just about you know, being nice or being friendly or being polite. It's about demonstrating the reality of the kingdom of God, the shalom of God, where it's all about, you know, even in the midst of difficult circumstances, even when, when the earth seems to be shaking, it's very possible that we can live in peace. We can, we can live in peace because we're connected to the king of peace, the prince of peace, who is Jesus. So peace has to do more with an internal thing uh, and less about circumstances, all right? So as we sow in peace, as we live uh, connected to Jesus, and as we do our stuff, as we act, as we speak, as we move, we're living in peace. As we sow those seeds of peace, we will see a harvest of goodness, all right, so for 2020, here are, here are our three emphases. Here are the three things that we will be focused on in a more significant uh, and intentional way. First of all, connection, equipping, and outreach. 
CEO, everybody, CEO, Chief Executive Officer, CEO, Connection, Equipping, Outreach. Those are the three things that we will focus on in a more strategic, more intentional way than we've ever done before. As I said, these are things that are part and parcel of our church life, but we want to do these things more intentionally. I think I'll spend most of my time this morning speaking on connection, because that's, uh, that's foundational to everything else. You know, um, uh, I stumbled upon a TED talk a couple of years ago, and I've shared it with, with, with uh, some of the people here already, but I uh, revisited it as I, as I was preparing this message. I listened to it again, and it's a, fa a fascinating study uh, done at Harvard, Harvard University in New England. And it's a study that was done over 75 years. 75 years, this one study has been done, and it's actually ongoing. And they, took, they found 724 men. A bunch of them were, first, uh, were freshmen, uh, year one students at Harvard. And then the other group were just regular folks who live in Boston. 724 men started in 1938. They followed their lives for 75 years. They had a whole bunch of different uh, directors leading the study because over the course of 75 years, people retire, people die, etc. Anyway, so the 75-year-old study, and the goal of the study was to figure out essentially this question. What makes a good life? What makes a good life? When they asked the first-year students of Harvard, uh, some of them said, I'm here at Harvard because I want to make tons and tons of money, because money will make my life good. Another group of people said, I want to, I'm here at Harvard because I want to be famous. I want, people, I want people to know me, know my name, it'll be a household name, and that will make my life good. Other people wanted to work uh, uh, with purpose and with diligence, so they're, they're here at Harvard to study, to be equipped, to study, to, uh, to, to um, be equipped in order to, uh, you know, work hard and do well in life and achieve goals, achieve great goals in life. And so, uh, over the course of 75 years, um, where, where they, they followed these 724 people, uh, some fascinating uh, realizations uh, came about. By the way, the study was very, very detailed. They didn't just do, you know, some telephone calls every couple of years. They actually were in their house, in their in their homes. They went to their homes. They spoke to their spouses. They spoke to their friends. They spoke to their neighbors. Um, they they got their medical reports. So a very in-depth study, and, it, and uh, as I said, it continues. But for 75 years, they were doing a study. And um, the results of the study thus far are very, very interesting. Because here's what the guy said. And guys, uh, the guy who reported on this at the TED Talk, his name is Robert Waldinger. And here's what his discovery, here's what the discovery of this 75-year-old study was. Good relationships keep us healthier and happier. That's what makes a good life, everybody. 
It's not money, as cool as that is. It's not fame, as awesome as that is. It's not achieving great and wonderful dreams and goals, as awesome as that is. Good relationships that keep us happy and healthy are, are, are where it is. It's good relationships. Good relationships. Um, so, so, the, so the three points they made, the three points this guy made was, first of all, that social connections are really good for us. Social connections are really good for us. It helps us have a good life. Loneliness kills. Loneliness kills. They looked at, they looked at the medical uh, reports of people and it was proven from this study of 724 people that the people who had meaningful, healthy relationships lived longer. The people who didn't, people who were lonely, people who wanted to be connected to others but, but couldn't, uh, were the ones who died earlier. Interesting, isn't it? Social connections are good. But, but, but point number two is this. It's not the... It's not the amount of relationships that you have. You can have lots of friends. It wasn't even like a typical traditional family relationship that actually mattered because you can have a marriage where the relationship isn't healthy, right? So what, what really counted was having relationships that were profound, that were deep, where there's vulnerability, where there's transparency, where there's heart-to-heart connection, where you could be open with each other. If you had one or two or three people in your life like this, then you'd be healthier, you'd be happier. And then the third thing the guy said was that good relationships don't only protect our bodies, not only are we physically healthier, but we're actually emotionally and mentally healthier. He said, you, if, if, over the course of time, if you looked at people in their 50s, people in their 50s who had good, meaningful, in, uh, deep, profound, uh, tra- uh, uh, vulnerable relationships with each other, transparent relationships, if those people had those kinds of relationships in their, in their 50s, well then the outcome is that they'll be healthier, they would have better brain power in their 80s. I found it fascinating, I found it very interesting, because listen everybody, are we surprised that that's what the key to happiness is, the key to a good life is? Connected relationships, meaningful relationships? No, it isn't, because we as believers in Jesus, we know that that's what God is all about, right? The God who created the heavens and the earth is a God of relationships, isn't he? Aren't they? The three of them, three in one. Where the Father prefers the Son, and the Son prefers the Father, and the Holy Spirit is the one who's exalting Jesus, and Jesus is saying, look to the Holy Spirit, and they're preferring each other, and they've lived all their lives in such wonderful, connected, uh, uh, honoring relationships with each other. Right? This is what God is like. This is what God is like. And so we spent a wonderful... uh, few days, eight days, eight nights, five different um, places to sleep in over the eight nights with Elsie's family in Saskatchewan. And we had, it was a wonderful family time, lots of, you know, people gathering together, kids and grandkids gathering together and having a great time. 
But uh, if, if you don't mind me making this observation, one of the key things that I noticed was that even though we laughed a lot, frankly speaking, uh, it was essentially superficial stuff, right? We were playing games, and, we were, and as soon as you ask a question that, that went a little bit deeper, right, there was a little bit pullback. So you can, have, you can have family, you can have relationships, but if they're not profoundly, if they're not really at a heart level where you can open up your heart and you can share your heart, you can be vulnerable and transparent, where trust is involved, well then, that's not where it actually happens, is it? We often say in our Christian world that you know, Christianity is not a religion, right? How many people have said this before? Christianity is not about religion, it's about relationship. Exactly, it's about relationship. So if there's anybody on the planet, if there's anybody on the planet who should, who should be able to demonstrate what true connected relationships are, it should be the church, shouldn't it? It should be the church, it should be us. We should be the ones who are able to say, this is what living as authentic family is really all about. Because our God is a God who is a good, good father. He's a father who wants a family. That's why he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us so we can have family, authentic family relationships with him. So we don't necessarily need a Harvard study, as amazing as it was and, and, and informative as it was, if you read the Bible, you know that God is the God of relationships and meaningful, deep relationships, isn't it? Come on. So I look at uh, Acts chapter 2 as the model. But before that, let me just click. So the, the final outcome of the guy's study was that the people who fared the best are those who leaned into relationship with family, friends, and community. They leaned into it. In other words, they really gave themselves to relationships. They, they overcame obstacles of mistrust or offenses. They exercised forgiveness. And you don't have to be a Christian to do this, obviously. Um, but, but they leaned into relationship, and that's what brought about healthier, happier lives. And so I look to the early church as a model, the fellowship of the believers in Acts chapter 2. You've heard me speak on this before. I'll just take a few moments to read this passage to you. Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42. They devoted themselves. These are the, the disciples, the ones who first came to believe in Jesus. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What is that? What's the apostles' teaching? One time... A little while ago, I asked this question of a group of people. What, what was the apostles teaching? And it was interesting because they gave me their version of what they would like to hear in, in, in Sunday morning messages. They wanted to have certain kinds of messages given. That was their understanding of what the apostles teaching is. But let me tell you what the apostles teaching is. What is the apostles teaching, everybody? You guys know this. The teaching of Jesus, the declaration of who Jesus is, what he's done for us. Amen? That's what the apostles' teaching is. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. 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 
The word in Greek is koinonia, which means uh, some, 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 uh, some of the research I did, they said the common life, but that's not really what they're communicating because the common life could be interpreted as you know, simple life, common life. The life is common. No, it's actually life in common. They had life, they lived life in common. They shared, they had shared uh, a shared life. This is radical stuff for 21st century uh, Toronto, isn't it? Because we all just want to live our own little life. If we're single, we want to have the autonomy to do whatever we want to do, whenever we want to do it, wherever we want to do it. And Jesus died to give us that freedom. Right? If we're families, our primary concern is how do I make my family work? How do we get a happy life? How do we get the promotions at the job? How do we pay off the mortgage? How do we pay off the car payments? And that becomes the primary focus of our lives. It's all about how we can manage our lives. But the invitation of the gospel, if you, if you believe that this is a model for the church of Jesus Christ in every age, the invitation is for us to live radical, shared, common lives where we're actually concerned not just about ourselves, but for our church members. The people that we sit on in Sunday morning, on, in church on Sunday mornings with and stare at the back of their neck. Those are the people we, we're actually meant to be involved in shared life with. Is it not? Very quiet in the room. to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. This doesn't mean communism, everybody, because it was all based on love, no obligation. People did this out of a heart motivation of love. They shared what they had out of a heart motivation of love. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, everybody say every day, not every Sunday. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Glad and sincere hearts. What a beautiful picture. Wow. I have a dream, everybody. I have a dream that Catcher Fire Scarborough could begin to approximate this. We can begin to become a bit more like this. I don't think we have to meet every single day. Just relax, everybody. Just take it easy. All right? This is first century. But, so we can't, we can't duplicate this, right? But we can, we can take the principles and apply them to our lives. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Oh my gosh, enjoying the favor of all the people. Can you imagine what a church in Toronto or in Canada would be like if 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 the church was seen not as irrelevant or voiceless or powerless or archaic or useless, but if the people, if the culture could see a church that was so awesome. I may, I may not understand what you guys believe about Jesus and eating his, his body and whatnot, but at least they look at the church and say, oh my gosh, those people, there's something about those people that is awesome. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be, 
Will that be cause for celebration? And the reason why that's the case, the reason why the, the people looked on them with favor was because of the things I just read. They were devoted to each other. They were devoted to, to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. Signs and wonders were happening in their midst. And the presence of God was so thick in their place that even if people didn't fully understand what they were all about, they knew that that's an amazing group of people. That's what Jesus says. Jesus said to them in a different place that uh, the world may know that, I, that God has sent me if you have love for one another. This kind of love he's talking about, practical, common life sharing love with each other. Where we're willing to, to, to forgive each other. Listen, everybody, this is, this, what I'm talking about isn't easy. Okay, I've been around, I've been a Christian for a while. I've been in Christian ministry for a while. So I understand that none of this is easy at all in our own capabilities, in our own strength. We need the supernatural grace. That's what Paul says. Keep the unity of the Spirit. Not, not something that you have manufactured, but keep and guard the unity of the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that makes this possible and our cooperation with him. But it's God himself, whom, like, Mike, like, like Mike Bickle says, uh, it takes God to love God, right? So we can't do any of this in our own strength. God enjoyed, uh, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Right? We're talking about the harvest. We're talking about people getting saved left, right, and center. And we're saying, and all the prophetic people are saying that this is the year. 2020 is the year of the great harvest. Awesome. So if that's the, if that's the case, if, if we are wanting to be in step with the Spirit and preparing ourselves for this great harvest, what do we need to do in order to be ready for this great harvest? What do we need to do, everybody? Get connected. It's right there, point number one, connected. It's not, it's not a test. It's not like a deep uh, trick question. It's an obvious answer. We need to be really connected to each other. I know, I, I, you know I'm, I'm, not, I'm speaking to the choir because you know, most of us are, see this as great value. We do want to be connected. I mean, this is the cry of, of the youth of our day, right? The, the, the so-called millennial generation. We want to be connected. We want to be connected. But my question, is, my question is those who want to be connected is, are you willing to pay the price to be connected? It takes a cost. It takes cost, everybody, to be connected. Because listen, uh, at the age of 24, I, uh, I decided to join this mission agency and I went on a ship with a, with a bunch of Christians, 150 Christians from like 30 different countries. And, I, and at first, it was just a wonderful, a wonderful uh, uh, euphoric experience. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to be serving God in missions with all of these brothers and sisters, all my age, from different parts of the world. And we're going to be so great, and we're going to take the world for Jesus, and we're going to preach the gospel, and everybody's going to be saved. All right? Well, within a week or two, I ran into a couple of roadblocks. Because there are people who thought differently. Even though they were Christians, they thought differently. They ate differently. Right? They ate different foods than I did. 
they thought differently. You know, the Europeans on the, on the thing, any, any Europeans in the room? The Europeans would, um, would even though there was a, a rule, no drinking and no smoking. Oh, ready for this, everybody? The Europeans would sneak off the ship and they would go have a beer down the road. And, and, then, and, then, and then bless their hearts. You know what they would do? They would have mints and they would have gum. And they call it anti-stumble. We don't want our weaker brothers to stumble. So we'll make, after we finish our beers and our smokes, then we'll have the, uh, the mints and the, and the gum. So when we get back to the ship, nobody would know when they smell our breath that we had just had a beer. Bless their hearts. I'm just, I'm trying, I'm trying to be flippant about something that's really true. It's not easy to be, can look at you, look at, I mean, look at you, you, will, you know, look at you, look at you, everybody. Like, who wants to hang out with, no, I'm kidding. It's not easy, right? We, we all have our own personal preferences, and, and, you know, many of us are immigrants. Let me say this, let me just say this right now, because I'm on a roll. Okay, we, we come as immigrants to this nation of Canada, and, and, and we leave whatever we leave behind, and we come here, and many of us, I know it's fear-based, and it's comfort levels and everything else, but we end up cocooning ourselves and clustering ourselves with our very same people from our own home. I'm talking about Christians now. I don't, I'm not concerned about the other groups. I'm talking about Christians. They, cocoon, they cocoon, cocoon themselves with their own particular ethnic groups and everything else. And you could do that because it's a free country. But here's the deal. If you're a kingdom person, my conviction is if you're a kingdom person, our hearts need to be connected to the people all around. I mean, this is what the kingdom is going to be like, right? We will dance on the streets that are golden, the glorious bride and the great son of man, with every tongue and tribe and nation honoring the lamb. That's what, so, so let's start now. Let's start because we'll be next. We'll be next to the Malaysians and the Singaporeans and the Chinese and the South Americans. That's going to be great because the music is going to be awesome. All right? So let's start now. Let's, let's demonstrate to a watching world what it's like to live authentically with each other regardless of the natural barriers that exist in our natural lives. Amen? All right, so preach it. Ride that pony, he says. Okay, fellowship. Where am I now? All right, so fellowship. Life in common, everybody. That's what we're after. So just to get it to, so I, I think we all know this, right? We all value this at some level. So here's what I'm talking about in terms of practicalities for our church. I'm talking about this. I'm talking about I love the fact that we, on, on, on Sunday mornings, we gather together and we break bread together in small groups. I know God, God sort of instructed us to do that way back when uh, for a bunch of different reasons. One of them is to always keep Jesus and what he's done for us front and center of our lives, of our gathering, right? Because we're gathered together because of him, supremely because of what he's done for us. And we, rec we recognize that together. Jesus dying on the cross for us, rising again from the dead. That's what we celebrate every time we gather together on Sunday mornings. But there's also the great benefit of us ministering 
to each other, right? And the, the way church is set up right now is, you know, there's one guy at the front or one lady at the front, and she has the microphone for, for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and, and, and that's how we roll. And there's very little room for you to actually express your gifting, right? That's why we're trying our best to have different people lead. It's not a one-person show. We have different hosts. We have different worship teams. We have different people doing things because they're expressing their giftings. But frankly speaking, that's very limited, is it not? It's very, very limited. The other way, another way for, for us to begin to express our giftings and our abilities and our callings is when we gather together in small groups. And Keshavari in general, Keshavari Scarborough is always a cell-based church. We value cells very much. And so we're gonna be emphasizing this year and trying to create more uh, context for, for us to, 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 to be able to connect heart to heart. <clears throat> this is not heart to heart connection, correct? We want to create opportunities for us to connect heart to heart. I want to give you guys opportunity to push past all the obstacles, all the natural obstacles, so that we can pursue God together. Pursue this relational connection with God and with each other, so that the world will begin to see how amazing Jesus is. Amen? So let me give you a couple of really quick benefits of small groups. Developing gifts and callings. When I first went to the airport church in 1995 or 96, I had a meeting with uh, uh, the, the founding pastor. His name is John Arnott. Really cool guy. Went to his office and I actually, without even understanding what I was doing, I was giving, I was giving John my resume. I was saying, John, here I am. I went to a seminary. I'm awesome. I went to, I, was, I just come back from the mission field. I preached the gospel. People got saved. I'm a pretty cool guy. How can I, how can, how can you use me in your ministry? And so John said, Ramesh, that's wonderful. Isn't that wonderful, Carol? It's so good that Ramesh has done all these wonderful things. He said to me, Ramesh, how would you like to, to lead a small group? Start a small group. Uh, I, since then, I got to know John a bit better, and John's philosophy and my has, be, has become my philosophy that the people that you get to discover who really have uh, leadership potential are the people who are able to lead. One of the ways, to, one, one of the ways, one of the ways to discover people who are leaders is those who can, of their own volition, start a small group and lead other people. Because if you start a small group and there's nobody coming to your small group, there may be a question mark upon your leadership. Anyway, I'm jumping ahead. Developing gifts and callings, body ministry, so key for us to be able to develop and grow in our abilities to, uh, to uh, get better at what God has gifted us to do. Spiritual, social, and material needs are met. This is serious, everybody. Before we came to, uh, before we started this church, Elsie and I were small group leaders at the airport, and we met in our home, I think on a weekly basis. Sometimes we went to Hugh's house when we had socials because they have a bigger house than our apartment, and we had a great time. 
with, so, with you know, social events. But every week we, we met together. We do Bible teaching, worship, and all the rest of it. And it was fantastic. But here's the, here's the point I want here's an illustration I wanted to give. There's a lady in the group who uh, was going through some significant financial difficulty. She couldn't find a job. She wasn't able to find a job. It was really hard for her. And she was on the po- at the point where uh, she was going to be, she was being threatened with eviction. They were going to kick her out of her apartment because she couldn't pay the, couldn't pay the rent. So what did our group do? Outside of our leadership, what did the group do? The group passed a bucket and they collected an offering. They collected some money and gave it to her so that she could have money to pay her bills, pay her rent. And if I remember correctly, they did it at least two times. She was able to pay, she had a buffer of two months uh, rent. That's a practical way of expressing love that I'm talking about, which will not happen if nobody knows your needs, if nobody, if you're not connected to anybody heart-to-heart relationally, right? That will not happen. You will end up being evicted. Nobody will know who you are. You end up blaming God for your difficult life. Spiritual, social, and material needs are met in small groups. And then uh, another powerful benefit of having small groups is that this is going to be a net for the coming harvest, everybody. We don't want people to just get saved, okay? Say a prayer to receive Jesus. We want them to be able to be discipled, to, 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 to learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to learn what it means to go through hardship and still proclaim the goodness of God, even in the midst of, of difficult circumstances. Are you with me? It's a net for the coming harvest. Ah, connect groups, leadership development, best way to discover who the real leaders are. I've already touched on that. The best way to discover, as a leader, I want to know, I'm not really interested in whether you've been to a seminary or how many books you've read or who your favorite preachers are, if Bill Johnson's, if you know everything about Bill Johnson or Randy Clark or whoever your favorite guy is. That's all, all well and good. I want to know if you're anointed by the Holy Spirit to lead something best way to learn is to teach everybody. The best way to learn is to teach. Oh. The devil. <laughs> oh, it's back. Did I go too fast? Okay, so the next two things, just really quickly, because we're uh, running fa- running late. Next, the uh, next thing, next uh, emphasis will be equipping. We want to. I look back on this last year, and I don't think we did anything really, right? Uh, so we, we we want people to be equipped in uh, in catch the fire values. So we'll do all those things. Outreach. Events for the whole church, everybody. If we're going to have a harvest of souls, part of our role will be, will be led by the Spirit, creating opportunity for us to connect to people who need to hear the good news of Jesus. Amen? So we'll run things like Alpha. We'll have the local outreaches like we just did with the Christmas event. What an amazing thing that was. So many, so many wins 
with that one. Even though we didn't see a whole ton of people show up, I love the fact, because we, we, we don't have any control over that anyway. What we had control over, uh, over of was, uh, you know, people going out of their own volition, stepping out of their comfort zone in the winter, knocking on doors, talking to strangers, inviting them, praying for them. And like a 30 plus people did this over the course of those couple of weeks. Amazing. Give yourselves a hand, everybody. That was really, really cool. And then on the day itself, on the day itself, you know, I was w w uh, walking around, and, and whenever somebody came through those doors, within 30 seconds, somebody was, was on their case. Somebody was talking with them, smiling with them, and, you know, uh, showing them different things that were going on in the room. Fantastic. Boom. Come on. More like that. Training in marketplace ministry. There's some people who feel called to the marketplace, right? You have a career, an authentic career out there in a the marketplace, and this is where you're going to be doing most of your ministry, and you want to know how to be equipped to be salt and light out there. So we have a thing called GPS. We'll be helping people with that, and whatever else the Lord gives to us. And then thirdly, mission and mission trips, mission and ministry trips. We love taking people with us on trips, because you learn so much, so fast on mission trips. So, there we have it. There we have it. How do we respond to all of this? My slides are a little bit messed up for some strange reason. How do we respond to all this? Here's what I want us to do. Just to take a few minutes before we go. It's just to gather together. Let's all stand if we would. And gather together in groups. I just take a moment and uh, talk to the group, two or three people, three or four people. Just talk to each other about where you are with this whole thing of connection. Whether it's comfortable for you to be connected to people or whether you have, you have challenges with connecting to people. But you see the virtue of it. You see the value of it. Just take a few minutes to talk about that and then pray for each other. Pray for each other. Ask the Holy Spirit to push to help us push past our obstacles to authentic relationships.